Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the 511th show of ROI. Our guest for today is Judy Ridner, professor of history at Mississippi State University and co-editor of the journal Early American Studies, who is going to talk to us about the dirty history of soap. Joining us in the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. To begin with, we would like to welcome Judy Ridner to the show. Hello, Judy. Hi. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure. We call this segment Farouk Dinarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. Can you start us off with some of the basic information on where and how soap came to be and how dirty is it really? Well, I guess the story really begins um, not so much in the West, but in the Near East. And that was actually one of the things I was most surprised to find out when I first started researching this project, that really the story of soap begins in the ancient Near East with the ancient Mesopotamian people who lived in a, in a world that had some plants that had naturally occurring soapy-like qualities. And so from those plants, they learned to kind of, um, they, they learned to be attuned to the soap-like properties of plant matter. And from those plants, gradually developed soap into the product, you know, the, the traditional forms of soap, into a product that was usable by themselves and others um, for cleaning bodies, but especially in textile production, that was where soap was often used, and in laundry. So its origins are actually not so much in the West, but in the Near East, and I think that that's important. And then in terms of dirty ingredients, I think one of the things that's been really most striking to me about this research project is how disgusting soap actually is <laughs> and how many disgusting things it was really made out of and continues to be made out of. Um, I mean, fish oils like whale, order, whale oils were used in soap, um, all ki- kinds of animal fats uh, are used in soap. Um, coal tar uh, products are used in soap. So soap, uh, one of the things I really came to learn about it was that soap was often made from uh, the cheapest of oils and fats, and it was a product that it was a way for people to use inexpensive fats and essentially make them useful. And in large part, that was because for most of its history, soap was really less about um, human hygiene, and it was much more about what we would see as kind of industrial or domestic uses for laundry or, again, in the processing of fibers in the making of textiles, particularly in the making of wool textiles. So soap could be kind of disgusting because it was not really something that a lot of people were putting on their bodies regularly. And uh, the alternate story of that is that there was a kind of second history of soap production that was more attuned to human use. And that 
soap production is a kind of cleaner and less dirty history because those soaps were based in vegetable oils, specifically in olive oil. And those soaps were, um, those soaps we now know as typically we use the, the term Castile soaps to describe those soaps today. Um, but those soaps were much gentler on the skin. They were also used in laundry, but typically for the laundering of much finer fabrics. So that history of soap or those vegetable soaps, that history of vegetable soaps is a much cleaner history. But for the mass of soaps, um, it's really a, a history of humans find, finding creative uses to use some pretty disgusting fat products and to make them useful to human beings. Was Is there a lot of documented history with this? I mean, when you're talking about mm-hmm. um, the changes through soap over the centuries and obviously the millenniums, uh, and I'm making an assumption here, of course, when travel starts to greatly improve, products mm-hmm. greatly shift from one area to another. Is there documentation where one area discovers a form of soap that is either much better or they are like, oh, my God, that's just disgusting? Is there, are, are there records of that in history? Um, there are and there aren't. Uh, some of the, uh, the early history of soap, I've really had to rely on um, reports from archaeologists. Uh, a lot of the ancient world in particular, that's really relying on reports from archaeological excavations. But then once you get up into uh, certainly the Middle Ages and the early modern period, there really are records of what's being traded. Like um, most recently, so the article that I initially wrote is now become a book project And the most recent chapter, I've been working on two chapters recently, one on the early modern period. And in that one, it's pretty clear that when you start looking at England in the early modern period, there are pretty clear trade records of the kinds of products that are coming into England in, say, the 1400s and 1500s. And you can see that Trade connections, Bristol was one of the major soap-producing areas, cities in England in the early modern period. And Bristol traders have extensive trade relationships with both Spain and France. And Spain and France are among the first European centers for these higher-end Castile um, vegetable-based, olive oil-based soaps, and they are coming into England via these trade connections. And then Bristol soap makers also start importing olive oil and some of the, um, the alkaline products needed to make soap, the ash products needed to make soap that are also coming from places like Spain and France. And then they start uh, a, an English soap industry to make these finer olive oil-based soaps. And so you can actually see, starting in the Middle Ages, but especially in the early modern period, you can really see records of soap producers, soap importers, and get a better sense of how these goods are moving around. And you get a, 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 I mean, one of the other interesting things I've really found is that soap is really a global product. And it is ultimately made, you know, uh, 
we tend to think of soap producing centers in the modern period as being very kind of Western centric, based in the U.S., based in places like um, the British Isles. But what you see when you go back in time is that even in Western Europe, a lot of the soap producing centers were relying on raw materials that were um, being sold and traded from around the world. So the end product might have been made in a place like Bristol, but the component pieces, the ingredients of those products were actually coming from other places in Europe or elsewhere around the world. And that continues to be true today. I mean, um, if you follow some of the modern discussion of things like um, like palm oil, I mean, palm oil is a frequent ingredient in a lot of commercial soaps. And palm oil is not something that we're producing a lot of in the United States. It is, again, a global commodity that has become a kind of ubiquitous component in a lot of the soaps or detergents we use today. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history examines the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today is Judy Ridner, professor of history at Mississippi State University and co-editor of the journal Early American Studies. And we're talking about the dirty history of soap. Our history buffs for today are Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. And Terry, since you're the cleanest-minded person in this studio today, and I'm, that's not saying a lot, really, why don't you start us off? Okay. Well, after looking at my shower gel that I use today, the ingredients of it, I'm not so sure. I mean, yeah, I was interested um, in preparing for this to look at some of the ingredients, because I guess I never do, and noticed one was sodium talawat and discovered, oh, that's fatty tissue of sheep and cattle. Oh, that's what I put on my body this morning. Okay. Anyway, so I would like to know a little bit more, uh, Judy, about the Bristol soap makers. And you said that they were trading with uh, Spain and France. So were mm-hmm. they getting raw materials from there? And if so, what kind? Uh, yeah, they were getting raw materials. So um, Bristol, it's, uh, one of the other things that's really come out of this project is the very close association between soap and textile manufacture. And Bristol was a major manufacturing center for woolen goods. 
um, in early modern England. And so Bristol traders are trading woolen goods with places like Spain and France. And then they are trading for some of the fine ash, the barilla plant ashes. It's the alkaline substance that they're using to make soap. And they're also trading for olive oil so that they could make um, finer, hard, white soaps that could be used in cleaning the finest, like, linen fabrics of the time and that could be used even in human washing. Because one of the things that actually becomes popular among the elite classes in England in the early modern period are um, what we would call soap balls. Uh, balls of, of kind of chip soap, uh, chip soap that's all kind of formed together in a ball that can be used for either laundry or for human washing. And so Bristol, I can add, had had uh, a longstanding soap industry, and they were known for what was called a, brown, a Bristol brown soap that was often made of fish oil. <laughs> and so it was quite unappealing. Uh, it was useful for those uh, people in Bristol making wool textiles, woolen textiles, but it was not so good for laundering fine fabrics or using on the body. And so as they develop these trade connections with other Western Europeans, they are indeed trading for the raw materials that will allow them to make much finer uh, and gentler uh, soaps that have much greater appeal as luxury goods. So for sure. And I'll also add to your comment about soap. One of the things that I've noticed working on this project is, boy, I am very fussy about what soap I use and buy because start reading the ingredients and it does start to make you think about what you're putting on your body. Rick. Judy, I'm going to uh, wind uh, the tape back uh, several thousand years. You, you made uh, a comment in the introduction about uh, a product from uh, that was formed, soap was formed in Mesopotamia. I assume it was for uh, textile, uh, textile uh, washing and manufacturing. What was the product uh, that the you found from archaeology that was used in Mesopotamia? Um, it was just. It was indeed. Um, there's been. There have been some excavations of some ancient sites where textiles and even, as I recall, soaps were produced. And so these are just very, very simple soaps, which essentially consist, I mean, soap is at its basic a very simple product. It consists of a fat, some kind of an alkaline, and water. And so this is just a simple, simple soap made of a, a fat, probably an animal fat, but in some cases, a vegetable fat, but uh, most of the ancient soaps, I believe, were all that, um, excuse me, animal fats. And then a, a local, an alkaline, uh, essentially there are a lot of alkaline, highly alkaline plants in that area. So a kind of alkaline uh, uh, plant-derived ash and water. So these are just very, very basic soaps. And they were often used by textile producers, mostly by people producing woolen goods in the ancient world. All right, let's modernize the question a little bit. When I was in um, Mali, Africa with my wife in the Peace Corps, we learned that their number one 
um, insect uh, repellent was that they would take hot chili peppers and really, really hot ones and then throw them in a kettle or a, I should say a, a bucket and then cut ivory soap into it and then stir it and let it ferment and then you poured it on the plants and while mm. pouring it on the plants the soap did nothing to hurt the plant matter of fact that's what made it stick and the chili peppers were so hot that it kept the bugs away so i guess my question is that was that was in the 1990s when did the modernization soap come along in like what areas because ivory soap always prides itself on being just basic soap and it seems to be uh-huh. the most natural but then you've got other soaps as like Terry was kind of alluding. You look at it, and it's got more of a smell, and apparently can clean better. But it's got some elements in there. You're going, what the heck? When did this change yeah. in the 20th century? I'm guessing mostly in the 20th century. So ivory soap is one of the most uh, one of the first most successfully marketed soaps. It's done by Procter and Gamble in the 1880s. And it's really touted, and it's one of the first soaps in the United States to get touted as really for human use, as a kind of toilet soap for personal hygiene, for personal cleanliness. But most of the soaps that we know today are the result of um, essentially uh, discoveries in chemistry that happened in the early 20th century. Some of them are results of kind of lab engineering and lab experimentation that go in back into the 19th century with a lot of experimentation of trying to produce essentially lab engineered fats. And then they are inspired by the fat shortages that happened during the first and second world wars that really kind of forced soap makers to engage in greater innovation and in kind of the, the, the kind of production of what I as a historian would describe as, as lab engineered fat. Um, so, and that has some, you know, that has a lot to do with the two world wars, the fact that the global supply of fats changed and became more reduced uh, and their uses got channeled into other kind of enterprises uh, and so it's really that World War One, World War Two era that really gives birth to the kind of modern lab engineered soaps that most of us have grown up with that are not really that what they are is really detergents rather than soaps. They're engineered to detergents are engineered to essentially wash more cleanly uh, and to oftentimes they are also engineered to lather more consistently and then there are all sorts of moisturizers and additives added to them to often make them more useful to more targeted functions like laundry or dish soap or bath soap or shampoo so most of that has happened really since especially since the second world war so it's a very modern phenomenon terry yeah, Judy, you mentioned that you're careful in that you look at what the ingredients are in your soap products. Are there specific ingredients that we should not want to put on our bodies? Uh, that's hard to say. What I would say is, what I, my advice, the advice I would give is that after working on this project, I try to use 
vegetable-based soaps. So I use a lot of Castile soap. Now, of course, I still use regular old shampoo because um, if you go and look at a lot of Castile soaps, uh, they are touted as being uh, a product that you can use for anything because that's traditionally what soap was. Soap was kind of uh, an all-purpose product. You know, you could bathe with it. You could do laundry with it. You could wash your dishes with it. It was for everything. It's in the 20th century where we get these really specialized products. So what I do is I try to try to read labels and I try to look up these ingredients. Some of them are kind of hard to find. I mean, I've, as part of this project, I've tried to, you know, Google ingredients and try to figure out what these ingredients are. Some of them are kind of tricky, but if you do a little bit of digging on the internet, you can kind of figure out what's in in these products. What I will tell you is that soap at its essence is a very, very simple product. And so generally when you're seeing lots and lots and lots of ingredients, and generally when it's a commercially produced product, you are probably talking about more and more lab engineered ingredients and more a much greater likelihood that there are animal-based products in there, or perhaps oils like palm oil that many people would argue are are uh, uh, the, the extraction of palm oil is having very negative effects on parts of the planet. So I would just say you just need to be very uh, you need to be a savvy consumer, and I would say use the internet to kind of Google ingredients, and you can figure out what most of the the ingredients are. Rick, Judy, uh, the uh, question in my mind going back several thousand years to now, uh, I've written a question down. How did people stay clean um, with without the without soap, if there was yeah. always soap? Or was this important to be clean? So uh, it, it's a complicated answer. What I would say is, it depends on the time period. To a certain extent, being clean has always been important to, at, at the very least, the most elite people, the most privileged people in basically every society going back to the ancient world. Now, the degree of cleanliness, that, so that's certainly for, true for elite. For the mass of people, being clean has really only been important relatively recently. And I think that's interesting. I mean, it's really since the 19th century that being clean and smelling clean has been important to the great mass of people in the world. Um, so, so I think that it varies. And then I would also say how they stayed clean varied as well. For a long time, it's pretty clear that even those people who valued cleanliness did not always wash with soap and water. They often emphasized just water or sometimes like in the case of like the Romans, for instance, the use of oil and a scraper to kind of... <laughs> Ouch. You know, yeah. rub your body with oil, scrape Ouch. it off as a way of, you know, first bathe yourself, oil your body, scrape it off as a way of washing yourself. And so 
one of the things that's been hard to do as part of this project is really trace exactly when and how people were using soap on their bodies. Because for sure, soap has been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. But when people were using it as a form of human hygiene is more difficult to trace. But what I can tell you is that for sure, people have been bathing with water for, you know, since ancient, since the ancient times, since ancient times. But it's, they were not always using soap as they were bathing for, for a long, long, long time, including the relatively recent past. Simply sponge bathing with water was enough in most people's minds to make them clean. Okay. It is customary that we give our guests the last word on the show. Judy, why do you think knowing about the history of soap is relevant in today's world? Oh, I think it's relevant for so many reasons. I mean, most obviously the pandemic. I mean, we've been, uh, especially when the pandemic first started, uh, we were told to wash our, you know, wash our hands with soap and water all the time. And this was a form of disease prevention. So I think in the pandemic has called, you know, uh, attention to this ubiquitous consumer good that we use every single day and most of the time we never think anything about so i think it's time that we think about this product how we're using it and and what's in it what the ingredients are in this and then i also think the history of soap is so interesting because it involves like the history of women who were often working as laundresses it involves the history of textile production. It involves the history of the human body. It involves the history of hygiene. So I think it's a product whose history just resonates so much with so many contemporary issues in the world today. Okay, Terry, why do you think it's relevant in today's world? <laughs> Wow. Well, certainly we need to look at what the ingredients are. And I agree with you, Judy, as far as looking it up on the Internet, because some of those words, I have no idea what they mean. Um, so, yeah, it's very important to know what uh, we're putting on our bodies and what our skin is is absorbing. Forgive me for saying this, but Rick, come clean. Why do you think I it's will try my best. Uh, I was fortunate in my previous employment to travel all over the world and in both developed and uh, developing areas. And I noticed that there was a distinct difference in the human odor of people, uh, mm -hmm. particularly in Latin America and Africa and parts of Asia. And I never gave thought about the, the uh, history of, of soap, that uh, we are different, uh, the English are different, the French are different. So that's why I think uh, uh, your work is is uh, incredibly uh, important. Okay. Keep it up. Okay. Thanks. When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. 
ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 511th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Judy Ridner, professor of history at Mississippi State University and co-editor of the journal Early American Studies, who talked to us about the dirty history of soap. The history buffs for us today were Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.